Hey, and welcome into episode eight of A Level Deeper. I am Chad Miles. You, of course, are the listener that makes this show meaningful. And today, my guest on the show is Kelly McMullen. So I met Kelly a few years ago after she had pursued her dream of opening her own yoga studio, but not necessarily the typical yoga studio that you might think of. At her studio in Brighton, Michigan, The Space, Kelly's goal is to help you dive deeper into your own human experience. Eventually, the layers will come off. They will. And my job, my passion, is to encourage people to get as bare to the core as possible. Now, within this process of peeling back the layers, she's essentially trying to create conflict within us. Conflict really is a call for connection. It's a deeper connection. When we rub up against something that irritates us or that, you know, that makes us feel a certain way, to lean into it versus pull back from it, it will it will call us to connect with whatever that is. Today on the show, Kelly shares more on this style of movement that impacted her life and why it's become the staple of her studio. We talk about the important and very difficult relationship we all have with conflict, and we dive deeper into the vulnerable act of creating something new and offering it to the world. If you ultimately find that you enjoy this conversation and maybe it makes you think a little bit deeper, would you mind taking a moment to leave a rating for the show? Five stars, of course, is preferable, but that'll be the extent of my influencing. This conversation has some explicit language right off the bat and a few more times throughout the episode, so just be mindful of your listening environment. You're also going to hear Kelly's phone ring just a couple of times throughout the episode, and I like to think of that as Kelly's younger self calling and reminding her to keep going. So just be aware of that. Anyway, let's move on to my conversation with Kelly McMullen. It's episode eight of A Level Deeper, and it's titled A Beautiful Conundrum. I hope you enjoy. Okay, Kelly, so it felt like a serendipitous moment. The We're, <laughs> we're about to start our interview, and uh, you, you hop on the Zoom screen, and, and there's there's a word that's above a little whiteboard behind you, and you're like, oh, I, I got to take that down and take it off of, off of this call. What was that word? The word is fuck. <laughs> And I was like, you're going to have to make this X-rated because of this back here. And you're like, nah, I don't give any fucks. This is good. (laughs) A little untraditional. So explain Uh, to me why that word is sitting above that whiteboard. (laughs) I love that you're starting with this because there's so much to this word. Um. First of all, Chad, thank you for asking and thank you for caring about why I like to say the word fuck. I will tell you one of the things about me in my style of living is a bit untraditional. I have found that um, while traditions are amazing and really beautiful, especially Christmas trees and around the holidays like turkeys, I find traditions keep us very stuck in patterning, stuck in cycles and stuck in places and spaces that we're doing things and we just don't even know why we're doing them. And so I created a business. um, Sorry about the phone call for a second. I created a business that um, was untraditional in a sense, not only in the way that we move, but also in the way that I present myself. And so I'm really unfiltered. I'm a little unplugged and a little un um, out of control kind of thing, I guess you could say. Um, And so I wanted to have something that everybody gives me a gift every once in a while. And a lot of them are things that say fuck because what I'm moving and breathing and having like a lot of fun in class, it just comes out. It's a powerful word to me. And, um, you know, language is a funny thing because oftentimes people put meaning behind something. And I just like to use the word fuck as an emphasis. It just like is like an emphasized word and it emphasizes a passion behind what I do. Describe for us a little bit the movement that I've had the opportunity to experience at the space, which is which is the your yoga studio in Brighton, Michigan. Describe for us. I, I'm particularly so it's it's just to set the stage a little bit. You know, it might be a I think it's a, a Sunday morning, right? And if mm-hmm. you if you come to the space, you might be in a room with about fifty, sixty other people, and you're in the midst of. Well, I don't even want to explain it. C- explain to us if if we were to come to a release class. What yep. is that? What is that like? A release class is was created to be a combination of a variety of exercises. And so when you walk in, the room is already hot. 
And, um, you know, 100 to 115, depending on how many people are in the room, could be 120. And the reason why I have it heated is because I want to put on as many stressors as possible to you. And what I mean by stressors is I want to create an environment around you that is going to challenge your nervous system. So when there's loud music, there are a lot of people, your space is a little bit crowded um, and it's hot. Now starts the music. Like the music will be loud. We have two big amps and like you can feel the beat. So it's like kind of um, a concert-esque feeling where the music starts to pump through your body. And then we start usually breathing and we do yoga flows, jumping jacks, push-ups, burpees, um, leg lifts, tricep dips, and anything that I think of or want to do. So all movement is welcome. Because in life, you know, all movement is welcome and we can't control what comes at us. We simply can learn how to respond in a better way. And so I created these release classes for a multitude of reasons. But one of the number one reasons I created them and I'm screaming through the microphone at the people. It's not like, a, oh, blessed be thou. You are, you know, you are sweet and lovely and amazing. I'm just like, let's fucking go. Let's go. <laughs> and I've done that because it's like I want to create this place to allow people to feel the pressure, to release it, and then to feel like they're a little freer when they leave. That's essentially what it is. It's, it sounds terrible, but it, it really is fun. And it's hard. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I can attest to both the level of fun and level of difficulty uh, on both yeah. ends. But it is, I mean, you, you've created such a... It's such a unique and powerful and impactful experience. It also mm-hmm. sort of goes against, uh, I think the first time I went, you know, my expectation of what I was going to experience versus what I did experience was very different. And that's something that I, mm. I just find myself curious about is, you know, I think people, yeah. when they hear, okay, there's this, there's this yoga studio called The Space mm-hmm. and it's in Brighton. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I guess, would you eat? Is yoga studio the correct term that you would use? Yeah, I would call it a yoga studio. And thank you for asking that. And I've gone back and forth with, do I call it a wellness center? Do I call it a fitness center? What do I call it? And for me, it's a yoga center because I always define yoga as the practice of awareness. And oftentimes we get caught up in yoga needs to be down dog, lift a right leg, step forward into warrior one, step back into chaturanga. And we get kind of lost in the sense it has to look a certain way. And one of my biggest hurdles that I've experienced has been this feeling of I'm disappointing people. I'm disappointing people. I'm disappointing people. I'm disappointing people. And it's like, well, am I really disappointing people? Like, what do you mean by that, Kelly? Like define what you mean by disappointing people. It's like, is the expectation of what people are wanting when they come into a yoga studio? Am I giving that to them? And that was actually one of my biggest hurdles, Chad. And I remember barefoot and free. Ironically, your sweet wife was there. And I remember... I remember, um, you know, teaching the class and them asking me, we want you to teach this class. And I'm like, oh gosh, everybody else is alignment based. I really don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this because I knew that I was going to be providing to them something different. And I don't know anybody who has ever created something different that hasn't gone through this same, what, what Joseph Campbell would call the hero's journey. And that is, is, you know, there is an obstacle in front of you and you're going to get through it and you're going to come on the other side stronger. And then you're going to share it with the world. And, you know, that's a really powerful place to be. And it's like one of those kind of things for me where I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to do this again. And I just started, people started catching on and they started catching on and they started catching on. And I was like, okay, there's something here. You know, there's something here. And, um, and so it was, it was like dare to be different. And I thought to myself, guess what? This is like how businesses are created that are different. They've got to try, you got to, you got to differentiate yourself some way. Um, so this is what, this is how the space was really created. It was something I needed. It was something I really needed. And it was like, I needed something more than just flowing. I needed something more than soft music. I needed my ass kicked because in life, my ass was being kicked and I needed the same intensity to be able to work through it on the other end. I know what's probably happening right now. You just heard the ad music play. You're starting to tune out exactly what I'm saying so you can skip this ad and get back to the conversation, and I'm going to encourage you not to.
Because if you continue to skip this ad in order to get back to the conversation, then at some point there may not be a conversation for you to get back to. Okay, now that I have your attention, that might have been a little bit exaggerated. Likely, I'm not going to stop producing this show, but you can help me make this show a lot more viable and so I can continue doing this into the future. Fun fact, I don't make any money from this show. In fact, I actually pay in order to create these episodes on a weekly basis. And while that may not exactly seem like your problem or your issue, if you like meaningful conversations like the ones that we have here, well, then it is your problem. I could use your help in the form of financial support specifically in order to keep this show going and continually invest back into creating it. Here's another fun fact. If everyone listening to this episode were to donate the single cost of a cup of coffee, I could probably do this as a full-time job. That is a dream and a vision I have for myself one day. And I want this to be like PBS or NPR, where it's funded by the viewers. I'm imagining a show where we, together, collectively, decide that these meaningful conversations are important to us, and we don't rely on outside help or advertisers in order to keep them coming on a weekly basis. So yes, this is a long-winded way of saying, I'm asking you for money. If you're in a place where you feel comfortable doing so, I am asking you to make a small donation to support the show. You can do that by following the link that is in the show notes of this episode to a place called Buy Me a Coffee. Now, by buying me a coffee through this platform, you're not actually buying me a coffee. It's just kind of a mental construct to make this transaction of money a little bit more tangible. Thank you in advance for considering supporting me, supporting the show, and for supporting meaningful conversations like the one we're about to get back to right now. So then it makes me curious about your hero's journey because yeah yeah I, I from my experience we we tend to create things in life because we we've gone through something and and we create what we what we needed or what we find we continually need so you talked about you led talking about traditions and how traditions keep us stuck and when i hear you say that i i've got to imagine then there was a time in kelly's life where mm -hmm. Maybe you were more traditional or there was something, mm -hmm. there was some friction that you faced. So take us back a little bit on some of your hero's journey, because I'm really curious to learn about who you were before the space. Aww, thank you for asking. Um, oh, so it's really interesting. I came from a very traditional family. My dad was a football coach. He had brothers, two brothers. And so I was raised in a very male dominant family with um, you know, a mom that was very passive. And I mean that in the best way. She just kind of went along to get along. She spent every waking moment watching football with all of them too. And I was kind of like, okay, I like football, but I'm not like something. I just, I felt like I just didn't, I was like born in the wrong family and I love my family and it wasn't anything against them, but I just felt like there's just something that's different about me. And I recognized it pretty soon in my life where I was like, I just don't really fit into almost like I'm walking around kind of like the mermaid, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I don't have feet like the rest of the people here have feet, you know, like I just felt that way. And um, and I believe that I was intended to be a change maker because of that. You know, it's like when we hear and feel that in ourselves, I think it's a call to be a disruptor and a disruptor to me is someone who challenges the status quo. So when I say the word tradition, what ultimately I'm meaning is the status quo challenging what I've seen. And, you know, love my parents, love the things that they've done, have spent a lot of time forgiving all the things that have happened to me. But one of the big things that really changed the trajectory of my life was, um, unfortunately, being abused and sexually abused at that. And while that's a very dark, deep thing, it's actually something that a lot of people, um, you know, deal with. And it was something that shifted me tremendously. So I went from this very free spirited little girl to one that was very quiet. And I thought what I was doing was wrong. And, um, and so it was like, I kind of just followed almost like that was the day that I went to sleep. I don't know if that makes sense when I say went to sleep, but I kind of started sleepwalking that day and it went on for four years or so. And I remember those years of thinking to myself, this is hell, but I don't know how to get out of it. And so sleepwalking, sleepwalking, sleepwalking. And then all of a sudden I started movement. It was like in high school and college, I started moving my body. I started going to step aerobics. I started doing um, walking. I started jogging a little bit. And exercise was starting to open up this vessel in me. It was starting to kind of create, it started to create this like, ah, like this space, almost like you're opening like a, like a box or um, one of those like containers for like leftovers, you know, it's like, like a kombucha. And it was like, ah, my body, here I am. 
And I started to feel free, a little freer in my body. And I'm like, oh, because I was abused in my body, I started to feel the freedom in my body. And so that's what started the love of movement. And then I was like, oh my gosh, there's something more here. And I remember taking teacher training. Uh, I started teaching cycle at Lifetime. And then I took teacher training and I started thinking, oh my gosh, this practice of movement and breath, I'm starting to awaken. And my body started to release and started to feel free, a little more free. And I started going to therapy and the combination of talk therapy, moving my body, uh, paying attention to my breath, I was like, wait a second, something is shifting in me. And so this very traditional relationship that I had and the traditional role that I played in that relationship started to not work so well. And I was kind of finding myself not conforming, not really it was like what was working before all of a sudden wasn't working. And so, you know, I went through a divorce and that was really challenging and really hard. And because that's untraditional, you know, it's just it was very like, oh, I don't want to do this. And, um, and then I started finding this way of storytelling in my classes and I don't know where it started or how it started. I don't even remember the first class that I told a little something about myself, but it was like, oh my gosh, storytelling, moving my body, intensity, sweating, breathing. I'm changing. I am morphing into something And here's the thing for me, Chad, is like, you can't sell a product unless you believe it works for yourself. It's like, I will never be that girl that sells Band-Aids to like doctors because it's like, I don't know. I mean, unless I really fell in love with the Band-Aid and it worked for me. But what it was, was it became a product that saved my life. I mean, that's such a powerful story. I I, I always think it's interesting to hear about people because if, if people meet you today, they're not mm-hmm. meeting someone who seems like they're sleepwalking in life. They're not meeting right. someone who feels like they're doing it wrong. And so I think it's so powerful to hear that mm. that wasn't always your story, though. I, I want to go back to that a little bit because when you when you say, you know, you felt like you were, you almost, you, I, th- I think you said you felt like you were wrong and you started sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about mm-hmm. that time. What did that feel mm-hmm. like for you? Because mm-hmm. that is... Mm-hmm. You know, that feeling of feeling like you are wrong or you're doing it wrong. That's a really powerful mm-hmm. thing. And that you mm-hmm. talk about dimming someone's light. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's big time. It is big time. And, you know, it's something, to be honest with you, I think it's where a lot of people are today even. And I think there's a lot of people that, are, that struggle so for that. So it's like for anybody out there that's listening to that is like, number one, um, you're okay just as you are. And sleepwalking is sometimes part of the journey. And it is part of that what Joseph Campbell would call when I say the hero's journey is this cavernous time where you cannot see the next right step. You know, it feels dark. It feels confusing. It feels like you're a little bit lost. I didn't want to have a voice because if I had a voice, I would have to tell on this person and I didn't want to get them in trouble and I didn't want to cause upheaval and just my innate nature in me. I am, I was really wired to be like on, I'm, I'm not a conflictual person, you know? And it's so funny that I created a business that's so freaking I'm going to say it this way. It's so fucking controversial. It's so edgy. And I like part of me, I say this to my daughter a lot, Chad, but part of me is like, I want to just go back to being sleepwalking. And I don't. But there is a part of me that feels like it's confrontational. And I'm not naturally good at conflict. I'm not. I actually don't like it. It's very uncomfortable to me. I start sweating. I'm like, don't want to be the one that goes against the grain. But I, I don't ever want to sleepwalk again either. And what I mean by sleepwalking is going through life, just not knowing my name. And when I say not knowing my name is like not knowing what I stand for. I always tell people that are like in like the trenches or something. I'm like, what's your name? Like, what do you stand for? Why, why were you named what your name is? And what does it mean to you? When someone says your name, Chad, you know, what does it mean to you? And how do you stand in that name? And recently I've been doing a lot of classes about standing in the front of our lives, right? So this is like this. We oftentimes stand in the back of our lives and Brene Brown says this so well. We stand in the background of our lives and we want everybody around us to remind us we're amazing, but we can't even hear it because we're not even, you know, we're not even there ourselves, right? It's really difficult for us to do that. So when you say, who were you back in that day? I would say I was quiet, which is one of the reasons we do voice release at the space is really allowing ourselves to scream and to get it out 
was something I didn't have the capability of doing. It would have been so easy for me to just have been like, stop doing that. And I just didn't have that voice. I didn't know where it came from. I didn't know how to access it. And so I think people that are sleepwalking are going along to get along. They're taking the path of least resistance. They are following what they have seen versus what they feel. And, you know, real quick, funny story. I heard this, I don't know, back in the day, I don't even know who to give credit to, but there's a really funny story about a girl that um, approaches her mom and she calls her mom. It's like Christmas. And she's like, hey, mom, I've been dying to ask you, why every year did you cut the ham? I've been cutting the ham on the ends every single year, cutting the the front off and the back off of this ham. And she says, um, she says, my husband asked me this year, why do you do that every year? And And she said, well, I'll call my mom. I just do what my mom did. And the mom goes, this is hilarious. The pan that I used to cook the ham was only this big. And so I always cut the front off and the end off. And this is what we do a lot is we walk around doing things that our parents did and their parents did and their parents did. Never questioning, never challenging, never wondering why. And then we end up wondering why we're not happy. Why we feel a lack of satisfaction, why we walk around purposeless, passionless, and so on. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we fall so easily into this sleepwalking state? Mm-hmm. So my opinion, which, you know, opinions are everybody's got one. Um, my opinion is um, it's the it's it's the easier route for the moment. It's the momentary. It's the momentary fix that we get. And, you know, I recently read something that says the way we are wired as humans that we actually will stay in familiar discomfort far longer than new places because it's so foreign to us. And so it takes a lot to get us to try new things, right? It takes us a lot of energy. And it's really easy to sit back into familiar patterns because it is what we have seen. And for the moment, it feels easier. But I always say, you know, one of the things that I say, and I, I, don't, I didn't quote it, but I say it a lot. People say I quoted it, is pick your heart. Pick your heart. It's going to be hard to change and grow, and it's going to be hard to stay the same. And, you know, the quote that always says, if we're not growing, we are, in fact, dying. And so choosing life and choosing living every single day will require me to step into some level of growth. And that is, you know, my number one way of growth that I love. It's so so non-confrontational is simply just by being curious. Creating curiosity, just the word curiosity. I'm just curious. Like, I learned this from my therapist. You know, where it's like asking curiosity questions, like, tell me why. I'm curious why you're thinking that way. I'm curious why your mind goes that way. And when we start to ask ourselves curiosity questions, it comes from a little bit softer of a place, even to ourselves, right? Where'd the ham come from? Why'd you cut the ends off the ham? And we just start asking the questions and we realize, I don't need to cut the ham off. I got a ginormous pan that can totally house this big ham. You know what I mean? Yeah, was was curiosity sort of the... Well, did, is that what led you to movement in the first place? So you're talking about going through this period of, in your life that you described as sleepwalking. And in, mm-hmm. you gave us more context as to what that felt like and what that looked like. And then you said that you found movement. So how, how did that process go? What, what led you to that? Was it curiosity that started it? So this brings up another really interesting point of some of my background. My entire family... Um, both on my mother's side and my father's side are obesely overweight. And so I wanted to do something different. I wanted to feel different. I wanted to be different. I wanted to, and it wasn't even that I just wanted to change my body. I wanted to have energy. And I knew that I was like, and I don't want to call it predisposed because I feel like people have choices, but I do feel like there are predisposed, maybe patterns could be some genetic, could be a combination of it all. And I was determined to not be that. And that was part, that was the number one thing that started me with movement because I started to feel really good in my body and be like, oh, wait, I don't have to, I don't have to live that way. And I don't have to eat that way. And I don't have to, you know, I told you, I felt like I was born in the wrong body. It was like, I was always the girl that kind of, I was like my, we would go to McDonald's and I'm like, I'll take the fish filet without the bun. I didn't even know that that was like a thing. Like I just didn't want the bun. And I just always kind of like rode the line of being different. And I remember my family being like, oh, Kelly won't eat here, even as a little girl. And so movement kind of came as the next right thing, if that makes any sense, 
to, to wanting something different than I saw. My brothers were in sports. I was in sports myself. I knew when I was like, I was in track and running and I played some basketball and some volleyball. And then I really honed in on track and, and cheerleading at the end of my college or high school. But I remember running and track and leaving feeling better. And I was like, I, I was equating in high school. Something was clicking where I was starting to feel better when I moved my body. I was like, wait, I actually, I don't feel so dark. I don't feel so, and I started having a little more confidence. And so it just kind of built on top of each other. It was like, I felt like movement found me. And when I found movement, it was like, we met each other. We were like, Hey, we got something to do together on this journey called life. And it's going to look really unique, but you're going to want to, you're going to want to have a relationship with me. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So then what was it about your family or your situation that, that made you say, I don't want that because Mm. I think that takes a certain level of awareness and courage because I'm with you in that, whether it's our genetics or the environments that we grow up in, I think we, we are just, there's going to be certain patterns. There's going to be certain paths that are going to seem easier for us to take because that's what we're familiar with. That's what we're used to seeing around us. That's what the people are doing around us. So it seems Mm -hmm. like early on in your life, you made a pretty conscious decision to say, I'm seeing something that I don't want. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure many people are having that thought at, at a young mm. age. I'm not even sure, mm-hmm. you know, ad- adults sometimes are, are having a thought like right. that. So what, yeah. what was it that made you say, I'm seeing something I, I, I don't like? What actually was that? Gosh, I'm going to get really vulnerable. You ready? Please. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, I would have to say some of my biggest moments were always, for me at least, most of my change comes from chaos, right? So they say this all the time is chaos precedes change and change, you know, that kind of thing. So it was like chaos, discomfort, pain. And I think, um, I think a lot of what happened for me was, um, I witnessed my dad not being able to sit in a movie theater seat. I witnessed my dad at my parents at like out going out to dinner and having like, we would sit outside and there would be like lawn chairs and like us being like, that's not going to work. I witnessed my family members not being able to get into booths and us like being at a restaurant. And it was like, oh, oh God, this is awkward. How do you do this? And I remember because, you know, this is what I think. I think um, how, one of the greatest gifts and I'm learning to do this. I, it's so funny that I'm talking about this and it's like coming all first, full circle. But yesterday I called my daughter, little side note. And I was like, I hate that I'm so sensitive. <laughs> I don't like my sensitivity. And she's like, oh, come on, mom. And I was like, I don't. I like wish I wasn't a sensitive soul. Like there's so much of me that wishes I couldn't, I can unsee some things because there's just so much of me that feels so deeply. I sense things so fully. I'm very empathetic. And while it appears like that's a gift, oftentimes it feels like a curse to me. It feels like I feel things so deeply. And so I think as a child, my sensitivity was one of the main front runners in what helped to create change. Because I was noticing my dad and I could feel his pain and I could feel his embarrassment. I was embarrassed on his behalf. Or a lot of people just aren't even aware that somebody is feeling a certain way. I was very aware. As a matter of fact, it was something that was like plaguing me. Like this is, he's really uncomfortable, you know, and this is very embarrassing to him. And I was just like, gosh, I never want to experience that in my own life. I was having friends and I was witnessing different people and different experiences at different people's houses and their parents weren't dealing with the same thing. And I was able to see the differentiation. I was like, gosh, I want that. I can see them having healthy food. And I remember going to my friend's house for the very first time and eating salad and asking for more. And they were like, are you starved at your house? I was like, no, I just have never had salad. And I just was inhaling it. And it was like one of those kind of things. It was like my body just wanted something different, you know? And so I think it's sensitivity. My sensitivity was one of the front runners that was able to create sensitivity to not liking what I was in. Well, I, I just think some of these experiences can be so, so impactful and, and shape us. You know, I've, I've shared a little bit of, of my story on this show, but for me, it was seeing my, my dad pass at the age when I was 17. And the impact that that had on me was, was just seeing that he had dreams of his, that he was, I'm going to say putting off in life. He he recently had had pursued some of his professional dreams. But I think of that idea of 
where you know there was things he wanted to do in retirement and other things that he wanted to accomplish in life and he didn't get there and for me that was that just incredibly impactful experience of seeing something about whether it's our parents or whether it's other family members our friends we we see these things happen and i think if we're if we're aware enough to to see how they impact us we can say you know what i don't want that to be my reality and not that i can control you know ultimately what's going to happen to me but the thing that i could control is that i'm not going to wait until i'm 60 or 65 to pursue some of my dreams and to pursue some of the things that are meaningful to me because of what i witnessed or what i saw and it sounds like that was some of your similar experience with with your family growing up mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that and i think that's really true truly powerful and a lot of times it comes from pain the witnessing of your dad not being able to follow through with something and the early onset of his death creates this angst inside of us. And if we are sensitive enough to attend to it and brave enough to look at it and brave enough to look at it and courageous enough to act on it, <laughs> woo! I mean, guy's a limit, brother, right? It's like, hmm. And so it takes it takes that it takes that that willingness to attend to the ache. And I think oftentimes the ache can be numbed by alcohol, porn, drugs, distractions, blaming. You know, we have all the things, you know, and that's just to name a few. It's really easy to ignore it, the the ache and push it down and push it down and push it down until something happens. And all of a sudden you're like, and then someone's like, where'd that come from? You're like, well, let me tell you. Started when I was seventeen, you know, <laughs> right? Is is that then why you say why you say that you feel like the business that you've started is edgy and confrontational and controversial? Is it because mm-hmm. through your business, through your classes, you are challenging people and encouraging people to to start to peel back some of the layers and to take a look. And like you said, that takes immense courage. It takes a lot of, of, of being extremely brave in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Is that why you say it's, mm-hmm. it's edgy and controversial? I do. And you know what? It's one of those kind of things is eventually the layers will come off. They will. And my job, my passion is to encourage people to get as bare to the core as possible. So it goes like, it's, it's like, I always say this with skincare, but like who, who doesn't know skincare, right? It's like, as you're, I'm talking to a dude, but skin is all about exfoliating. So you can get to the, like to the natural part of your skin. But if you never attend to your skin very much like anything in life, if you just keep painting over something and painting over something and painting over something, eventually you have to scrape all the paint off to get to the actual organic source of what that piece of, machine is table is you know hypothetically you just keep painting the table painting the table painting the table and you're wondering why it's peeling or you have toxic paint in your food or whatever the case may be eventually you got to get the courage to get the paint thinner out and the tools and start going at it right so daniel Doby says something so powerful in her book called our tribe she said you and i'm gonna paraphrase i don't know exactly but you are worth uncovering unveiling knowing discovering and all the words you and your seven million layers you you're worth uncovering discovering unfolding unveiling you know revealing because here's the thing chad for me it's like the sooner i can get to the essence of myself the truer i am to myself then the truer I am to myself, the more I'm going to magnetize to myself beings that are that that are going to match me. And then when I magnetize to myself beings that match me, I get to walk in congruency in life, right? Less resistance and a little more flow. Not easy, not easy. Kind of drop the easy word. Still challenging, but a little more flow. And, um, that's, what's important to me is we're always, we're, a lot of us are walking around super armored up and we don't even know that we're armored up. And so it's like, I got to get down to the essence of who I am and wonder why I got 17 coats on and it's 95 degrees out. You feel me? And then I'm like, why am I sweating? This is a metaphor. Why am I sweating? It's like, sister, take off the cloak, take off the second cloak, then take off the third cloak, you know? And it's all about, it's about discovering this really essence of who we are before the world told us who to be. And that's a really powerful place to be. 
And when we do that, we're walking around a little more authentically and like less concerned about everybody else around us making us happy. This this idea of um, who were you before the world told you who to be. So for for anyone who hasn't listened, I had a conversation with Renee Chevrier, and she yeah. specifically mentioned Kelly, and this is that Kelly, mm-hmm. and in one of the classes at the space where you introduced that that quote to her that that sentence of of who were mm-hmm. you before the world told you who to be, and and I mean I, I have chills chills right now just saying that and and thinking about that idea because. I feel like we so easily get lost from from mm-hmm. who we were before the world told us who to be, and in mm-hmm. I don't know, I I just that, that is that is such a powerful concept. It is, you know, Sarah Blondin, who is just an incredible. I, I call her an artist. She's a writer, and she does a lot of podcasts, and she does a lot of meditations. And one of the things she writes in her books that I love so much is called Heart Minded. But she has an entire chapter on the retrieval of our sensitivity. The retrieval of our sensitivity. It's like we're going back and retrieving a part of ourselves that we lost along the way. I've heard it said this way, and I think it's really powerful. So if you can imagine yourself walking through life and there's trees around you, right? So you're walking through life and there's trees. And on every tree we walk past, we leave a piece of ourself on it because we have an encounter with something and we leave a piece of ourself on that tree. I'm going to call it a ribbon. I'll leave a little ribbon, another ribbon, you know? And then at the end of our lives, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is, have we left part of ourselves behind and are we still true to ourselves? And did we give from an authentic place or did we give from a place of wanting people to love us, to see us, to adore us, to validate us? And so it's almost like you're retrieving these parts of yourself to make sure that you're giving from a sustainable space. Does that make sense when I say that? So remembering who I am before the world told me who to be is making sure I'm retrieving my sensitivity that I gave out to different people. And I think if we don't do that, we walk to the very end of our life and we're cynical, we're bitter, we are challenging everything, we're kind of sarcastic. You know, I, I, I struggle with sarcasm and I, I, and I love good humor, but sarcasm can get really edgy. And I think sarcasm is, is humor made bitter, right? That's my take on it. Humor made bitter. And what I mean by that is like, you know, it's almost like they are challenging something with that with humor, but they're doing it with like a bitter energy behind it. And so for me, it's like, I want to walk through life as sensitive as I possibly can. And trust me, I mean, I'm in a brand new relationship and, you know, I'm learning how to love again in a really unguarded way. You know, if I want something different, this is another big one. Ready? Everybody turn your hearing aids up. If you want something different, you got to do something different. You got to do something different. And so I'm like, what do I want different? I want a relationship that feels open, expansive, loving, kind. And so when I want to retreat and hide, I got to open. And so I, and it's hard. I'm like, I want to ignore him right now (laughs) or something, you know, whatever, um, to protect myself. And so when we want something different, we've got to do something different. Good on you for being able to recognize that, right? And yeah. I think it takes a lot of self-awareness and self-reflection to be able to say, hey, m- maybe in a situation, in a relationship, in in a conflict, whatever, maybe there's some parts of me that I'm not proud of. Or maybe there's some parts of me that sure. I, there's some things that I could do differently. And it sounds like mm-hmm. you're bringing that into this next chapter from a relationship standpoint mm-hmm. in, your, in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, relationships are everything. And this is the other part about what I love so much about the studio is it's, 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 it's connection, it's community, it's relationships with people. And, and like, we are all longing for connection. We all are longing for someone to see us, to recognize our name, to know that we exist, to know how hard we're working, to know our struggles. It's really important. And a lot of us hide and we hide here, right? And we hide behind whatever screen or we hide behind not having an opinion. And so, you know, I, I will always do group therapy, you know, oftentimes, you know, even in the midst of COVID, we still kept things going and we created, you know, the, the virtual platform. And so that was like a super powerful thing for us to do because I feel like people need people. And, you know, we are wounded in relationship, in relationships. And I think we heal through relationships too. I think that's both. And I think it's really powerful because 
some of the most powerful times I heard this one time, you know, is you can do ayahuasca and you can do other forms of plant medicine and you can do all the different, you know, combo and some other types of, um, you know, psilocybin and all the different things. You can sit in a 10 day Vipassana meditation. You can sit in a hot yoga room and literally have to do plank for seven minutes straight, but nothing challenge. And you can do all those things and nothing challenges you like a relationship does. Nothing, nothing, nothing is confrontational as confrontational. And I'm going to add on this to you guys. And nothing is as confrontational as living in a small van with a dog with the person. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) And so what I mean by that is like, oftentimes we want to hide in relationships and our job is to step into the relationship fully to discover and uncover parts of ourselves that contribute to the demise and misery of our own lives, right? The relationship is a mirror to us. And I believe that this movement is too. Like, so the movement and relationships and being around people will call you to the carpet really fast. Yeah. It's, it's inevitable that if you're in a relationship with people, whether that is a romantic relationship or that's a friendship, whether that's a professional relationship, I've, I've never been in a relationship of any sort that hasn't had some semblance of conflict that's also involved. I mean, it's, it's as guaranteed as death and taxes. It feels like. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. And yet it's, it's, it's always been, I'm someone that I, I struggle with conflict. It's, it's difficult for me. It is, it is challenging to feel like, you know, to show yourself, express yourself, open yourself up and be, become vulnerable to judgment, to whatever it might be. So I've, I've found myself, you know, I, I struggle with it so much. And yet every time if I, if I engage in a conflict confrontation, if I come into it open, if I come into it recognizing that I play a role in this, I'm open, I'm curious, like you said, of, of learning about the other person, I, I don't think I can ever point to a time where I didn't come out better, stronger, more appreciative of whether it's me or the other person, whether we agreed or disagreed. Mm-hmm. We, we come out so much better on the other I side when we go through these conflicts. It doesn't make it easier. I agree. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't make it easier. And I also want to say something to you that I love, and I'm sure you've heard this before, so this isn't the first time you're hearing this, but genuinely, I've had to make, I, I always say this, I don't like conflict, and I have to change, I'm really working on changing my verbiage with it, because like very much like you, it's like, it's just not natural for me. But one of the things that I am recognizing is every single conflict that I choose to engage in, just like you said, it was so beautiful that you said that, Chad consciously and open not perfect right so we get triggered and triggering is a whole other thing and i'll tell you about triggering in a second but it's like open and honest as much as we possibly can to something conflict really is a call for connection it's a deeper connection it's a deeper connection so when we rub up against something that irritates us or that you know that makes us feel a certain way to lean into it versus pull back from it, it will it will call us to connect with whatever that is, whether it's yourself, another human being, a business opportunity, or whatever the case may be. Oftentimes, I I do this thing like you know with whether it be the space or a friendship. If feel, if it feels hard, I'm like, oh, this is too hard. This isn't easy. I shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, there's both, right? Sometimes we have to sit back and be like am I just making this out to be harder than it is? And do I need to lean in or is that not really for me? Right. So that's all about discernment and understanding what that is. But I think so much of conflict is really a call for a deeper connection. And what we're really wanting in life is for people to feel really connected in a way that isn't superficial so that we can make it through hard times and we can say, Hey, remember when we worked through this and that's really what we do in class is I emulate a very conflictual experience. And that's really what it is, is I emulate conflict. I emulate challenge. I want to take you to your very edge when you just want to be like, you know, and I want you to do that to get it out so that we can, I always say this, the yoga mat can handle your anger, but a human being may not be able to. So let it out, scream it out, jump it out, stomp it out, lift your arms up, shake it out, do all the things to get it out so that we can enter into human connections or animal connections. You know, how many people are just angry and pissed off at their job and they freaking kick their dog? You know, it's like, it's not your dog's fault. (laughs) So this is part of the reason why the space was created. It was like, I wanted a place where people could come, get agitated, get triggered, 
and find spaces. Peter Crone says it so well. He says, we get triggered because triggering is an opportunity for us to see places and spaces. We're not free. When I'm triggered, it's a recognize, it's a recognition within myself to say, why is that bothering me? Hmm, it's really interesting. Let me delve into that a little bit more. What belief system do I subscribe to that keeps me stuck in that? Right? So it's like, that's what my intention was with the release classes. And, you know, we have other classes and stuff there, but our release class is really our signature class at the space. And, you know, Katie does a great job with strength and those are really challenging too. But every class has a little storytelling, a little theming, and every class has something that takes you to your very edge. Cause I'm like, people need to be challenged beyond what they think they can do. So don't make it easy for them. Don't give them ways out. They'll take breaks when they want it. And oftentimes people are like, that's not very nice. I'm like, well, either is life. We got to learn how to stay in it, right? <laughs> it's, it's interesting to me. I can hear you speaking so confidently about the classes that you lead and this experience of, you know, we can have this conversation and we can recognize that people need to go through conflict. They need to peel back some of their own layers. It's going to mm. be challenging. It's going to be difficult. So I hear so much belief and confidence as you're saying all of this. And yet early in our conversation, you brought up the word disappointment and Mm -hmm. you still struggle with feeling like you disappoint people. So I want to revisit that because what is it within you that can speak so confidently and yet still feel that disappointment? That is really brilliant. Okay. I just need to give a little props to you of number one. Thank you for being a good listener and thank you for finding that conclusion. It's like a little bit of a puzzle piece. And coming to that, and it's like a summarizing of that. And very beautifully said, and really a beautiful observation on your end. So thank you, Chad, really for seeing me. It is um, such a beautiful conundrum that I think we all walk around in. And that is that we are multifaceted beings. And there is so much of me that believes so much in the product that I put out. I would die for this product. Literally, I would. And I, it has saved my life. I believe in it so wholeheartedly. I believe that it works. I believe that it is life-changing. I believe that it is life-giving. I believe it is connection. I believe it is victory. I actually believe it's a dose of antidepressant and not to belittle any of that with anything mental stuff and medication and all that stuff. I believe it's awakening. I believe in all of the things that it is. And there is still a little girl in me that wants to be the same as everybody else. I find it such an interesting process of life. You know, we're born, we're beautiful, we're different, we're unique. We have our own fingerprint, our bangs sit a a certain way on our head. You know, we're all so unique. And then as we start to get into elementary school, we don't want to be different. And so we look at everybody else's lunch and we're like, hey, what'd you bring? And I'm like, um, what'd you bring? And they're like, a ham sandwich. I was like, yeah, me too. I have a ham sandwich too. You know, it's like, we don't want to be different, right? We don't want to be the odd one out. We don't want to be the one that the mom put the sprouts in the sandwich. Like, that's weird. Um, and so, and then what happens is, you know, middle school too. It's like, let's just be like everybody else. Let's dress like everybody else. And then high school, it's like, you don't want to stand out too much. And then guess what happens? We graduate from high school, we get into college, and now we're like everybody else, and we're trying to graduate from college and be different. So somebody hires us, and we don't know how to be different, right? So it's like that. It's like we're born unique and beautiful, and we vacillate through life really wanting to be just like everybody else. And then we reach this pivotal moment. We've got to meet ourselves again in our own differentiation. That's why I'm like, we're retrieving the essence of who we are. We're remembering who we were before the world told us you need to eat ham sandwiches and wear short jeans and do this like Bobby Sue does, you know, whatever. And so now in this moment, it's like to differentiate myself still feels foreign. It feels wrong. It feels like I'm doing something wrong. And I will joke sometimes when I see somebody in class that I, that's never been. And I'm always like, Hey, are you guys curious when we're going to start yoga? (laughs) It's kind of like a nervous thing that I do. And I remember my daughter calling me out on it. She was like, don't, don't water down your product. Just do you. Don't, don't, don't be sarcastic and don't talk bad about it. Just show up as you. People will keep coming or they won't come. And I always remind people I have two doors in the studio. 
you know, you can come in and you can leave anytime you want. I will never be offended. You can come go out for a breath of fresh air or you can go out because you're offended. And there is still a little part of me that like when someone leaves, I'm always like, Ooh, did I say something wrong? You know, because there is a little girl in me that sits inside of probably all of us and the little boy inside of you that still desperately wants to be liked and doesn't want to be different and doesn't want to like create upheaval in any way. And so I have to fight that urge still. You know, after some of my classes, still after teaching for 10 plus years, owning a studio, this is our sixth year in business, going into our seventh year, we just celebrated our sixth birthday. And I still, after class, I'm like, did that make sense? Which to me is such a uh, uh, refreshing thing to hear. And that I think we just yeah. assume that I've, I've been to your classes. I, I see you up there. I, you seem alive, energetic, confident. And, you know, I think it's easy for all of us to leave class and, and go home and, and maybe it brings up something within us and we're like, oh, sure. but not Kelly. I'm sure Kelly doesn't feel any of this. Oh, if only, you know, every time I host these shows, I, I get nervous and like, oh, but I'm sure 10 years down the line, I won't feel this way and it, and it won't. So yeah. it's just, it's such a refreshing thing to hear that, you know, yeah. there it, it doesn't really end. I, I think to me, that's no. a sign that you're you're doing something meaningful. And if those feelings mm-hmm. should be coming up after you share something or after you are, are offering something of yourself or offering a gift, whatever that might be to people, I think we should feel that that vulnerability hangover. And that's a sign I that we're, agree. we're probably on the right track. I agree. And, and you know what, that, thank you for bringing that up because I think that's so foreign and for people to hear it and to hear it again, we're normalizing we're normalizing that feeling inside and we're learning to label it. It's not necessarily, you know, sometimes it can appear anxiousness or nervousness or resistance, but when we name it as excitement and we give it a name and we're like, Hey, I mean, I, I was sweating before the podcast. I was like a little nervous. I get nervous before every class I teach every single class I teach. There's a little part of me that I'm like, how's this going to come together? You know, because it's like I have notes on notes on notes in my book. And, you know, there's like notes and there's poses. And I'm like, and then you put it off to the side and you're like, okay, how will this come together? And how will this group inspire? And like, it's like almost like a magical moment where you release control. It's like, it's like the moment where you're riding up the um, roller coaster, like click, 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 click. And it's like, how's it going to actually happen? How's it going to come together? And I have to remind myself, it's like in my humanness, in my sweet little girl, there's still a part of me. And I'm, I use the word fragile, not as in like I'm easy to break. Fragile to me means delicate. And we all are very delicate. And delicate is um, precious. It's precious. It's, it's simple. It's organic. And it's penetrable. And we all are penetrable. Like we all are affected by things. Me too. You know, I want everyone to like me. I want people to like my classes. I want to be asked to be on a podcast. I feel liked, you know, (laughs) so thank you. (laughs) Tell me more about how you developed Uh, this relationship with trusting in mm. what you have to say or or what you have to offer Mm. and and trusting that it will come together because I've I've got to imagine Mm. that 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 took time. It does take time. And I'm still in that process. My daughter actually recently did a class, which I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe she's doing this. But she didn't bring her notebook in at all. She just left her notebook out, um, didn't even bring it to the studio. So she didn't write down her flows. She didn't write down what she was going to do. Because, you know, our classes, it's hard to understand. But like, if you've never been, but our classes are very, very, very detailed. And like, you you know, we do something specific with each song and it's, it, you know, it's a lot of theming. So there's a lot of things going on. It's like driving with like multiple things happening at once, a lot of multitasking. And I remember her saying her whole class was learning how to trust her own voice. And um, I have never done that myself. And so I have to give her props because I've never came, I've never come to a class without my notebook. So she's got one up on me, that little stinker. But I, your question to me was, how do you learn how to trust yourself? And it kind of goes a little something like this. I trust myself because of the experiences I've placed myself in that I have survived 100% of the times I thought I was going to die. And I glean from those experiences and I remember shaking, sweating, my voice cracking, 
you know, I can get up and teach a class to 60, 70 people, 80, 100, 200, 500, 1,000 people. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be nervous and bet an eye. But to tell my new boyfriend, well, it's not so new, but like a year and a half, how I really feel about something or where I feel tender or that I want him to text me or to call me or to check on me or love me more. I'm like, <laughs> so I still have moments like that where I'm really unsure of myself. And I think it's like, I think trusting yourself comes from experiences that we place ourselves in recognizing that on the other side, I survived. It may not have looked pretty, but I made it and I made it out. And it's like, I, I feel clear through my throat. I feel open in my heart. And so this is also what I say a lot in classes. We do yoga for life. We do yoga for life. We move the body in this really dynamic way. Trevor Hall says it is in and through the body, in and through the body, in and through the body, right? So we move the body in this dynamic way so that we can learn how to trust ourselves, so that we can learn how to make it through hard times, so that we can learn that every time I get hot and bothered and I'm gasping for air, apply to all situations, I don't have to leave. I can just stay. I can connect with my breath. I can ask for a timeout. Hang on one second. I want to stay with you in this moment, but I need to catch my breath. Okay, there I am. Keep going. Tell me more. Tell me more. And then it's like, I'm starting to lose my breath. Give me just one second. You know, that kind of moment. And it's like, those are the moments where I, I think I'm practicing yoga for life because it's making me a better human to move my body in that way, trusting myself that way. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> it, it does. It does. I, uh, throughout the course of our conversation, based on a couple of things that you've said, I've, I've just thought of the word shrinking. And, mm. you know, you, you mentioned at one point that idea that sometimes you find yourself thinking, would it just be so much easier if I, if I didn't run this studio, if I went back to, and I find myself doing that as well. I'm like, what, mm -hmm. wouldn't it just be easier if I didn't live in this van and I wasn't trying yes. to start this podcast and I wasn't putting myself yes. out there? Wouldn't that be easier if I went back to the nine to five job? And not that that's yes. a bad thing, but I just, it's, it's easy to get caught in thinking should it, should, would it just be easier if I did that? So I guess my question to you is what, what stops you from shrinking? Mm. So I had just, I have to do this because this is like my very ultimate favorite quote <laughs> that ever did exist. Maybe my all time favorite. And that is Marianne Williamson's quote. And she says, listen, it's not that you're afraid you're going to fail. You're afraid that you're going to be too powerful. And I'm paraphrasing what she says. And she said, who are you not to be big? You're a child of God. You were created to take up space. So be big, be big, stand in your power because, and this is tattooed on my arm and I'm going to read it to you exactly. As you let your own light shine, you unconsciously give permission for others to do the same. And so I have chills. My whole body is this feeling of it, me. Playing small fucking does nobody no good. Not me, not you, not anybody. So when we want to shrink because it's our tendency and it's natural and it makes sense, you know, just when someone says, gosh, that makes sense, you know, it's like, it makes sense why we want to shrink. It seems like it'd be easier. And then we have to remind ourselves, wait a second. I want to shrink because I'm terrified of my power. I'm terrified that I might succeed. I might make it. And if I make it, I get to inspire somebody else to do the same. And you're not going around trying to sell somebody eyes to an Eskimo or trying to sell them some kind of textbook or some kind of apparatus for their knee that they need to have. You're just living your life, showing up, being big. Listening to your voice over a podcast. I think it's admirable to want to put yourself out there and interview people because you're putting yourself out there, Chad, in a way and a space that is, you know, and especially in an unscripted, in an unscripted way, you're putting yourself out there to do this version of hearing your own voice. And when somebody hears their own voice and hears their own opinions and hears them, you know, whatever, you're giving other people permission around you to do the same. It's so cool. You know, um, it's one of those situations where it's like, wow, I'm inspired. Because he was so brave to do that. And so I'm just like, 
I, it's like, I don't even have a choice, even though there's a temptation, you know, it's like that feeling. I'm sorry. Even though there's a temptation to do it, there is always that little voice inside of me that says, "Mm -mm, I ain't giving into that one. I ain't giving into that grip, you know, and it's like, get off my shirt. (laughs) Well, and I've just got to imagine that so much of that comes from (laughs) you, you know, your name you know who you are, you know, your values and you know what you mm-hmm. stand for. And mm-hmm. that makes, mm-hmm. it's not an easy road, but it, it, no. I've got to imagine that allows you to keep going because I think that's, that's been right. my experience as well is that mm-hmm. Eileen and I have kind of built up this like little tagline of just make it meaningful, which to me represents, mm. I'm going to constantly pursue things in my life that are meaningful. And I, I've always said to people, I don't want you to go build a van. I don't want you to go travel the country, but I hope that maybe by me doing this and me doing something unconventional and me pursuing something that's meaningful and different and by me taking a chance on myself, maybe it will encourage or inspire you to do whatever that means for you. And however big or Mm -hmm. small that is, I think it's just important that we have people like you in the world and that we can have conversations like this where we can encourage people to maybe just mm-hmm. think a little bit differently. And and I guess that was kind of the thesis that. behind why I started this podcast in the first place. Good for you. And you know, I want to, cor- I want to autocorrect. So one of the things that you said is that people like me, but I also want to say people like you that are doing something different like that. And it's like, I think it's so important to recognize and, and, and honor. I always say this to people and I want to like, you know, leave you with this school of thought to chew on it too. And leave anybody that's listening to this is, is the mountain is the journey, right? The mountain is the journey and whatever is set before you is yours because it is, right? Whatever season you're in, Jaya John says it, wants you back. Whatever season that you're in wants you back. And so um, I think it's so important to recognize that, that life is our curriculum, that the life that we live is always what we're learning from and that this mountain that we're climbing will require us to stay focused. I mean, I don't have the luxury of not being in the work. If I'm not in the work, I'm needy, I'm expectatious, I'm whiny, I'm fussy, I'm jealous, I play small. I have to do the work too, right? It's like, I don't have the choice. It's like, I I need it, like I need the air that I breathe. And so one of the things I think is so important to anybody in this work, all of us that are doing this work, is to make sure we have mountaintop experiences make sure we pause long enough on the edge of the mountain to look down to see how far we've climbed and to give ourselves a pat on the back and say that was hard and i did it and you take a moment and you celebrate that you get that ah i'm proud of myself and that sensation will propel me to climb again and we turn toward the mountain and we start trekking you know just like that it's just like yeah and I think it's like, you've got you to gotta pull from that place to sit back and to say, I did it. And I don't, I'm not encouraging, like, I love what you said. It's like, I'm not encouraging everybody to go out and buy a van and live in a van and all that kind of stuff. But doing an unconventional way of living, I hope I inspire you to try something unconventional. And it really is so much about what I did in my business. And so it's like, I feel like because this is the beauty of it, because I, I answered the call. And because you answered the call, we got to have connection today that creates a little more flow in our life. That's what magnetism does. That's the beauty of getting back to the essence of who we were before the world told us who to be is because we get to connect with like-minded souls and we get to be touched by, I'm touched by your words. I'm touched by you being asked, asking me, and we get to be able to magnify greatness by being great ourselves, right? Light begets light. And, um, and so it's so cool. That's Mm -hmm. a a beautiful connection (laughs) to bring it back to each of our journeys kind of led us to this point. I think that's just an incredible, and the fact that we had this conversation, it just goes to show what you can create if you do follow what, what your, if you do get to know what your name is and what your values are and, and you just never know, you, you never really know in the moment what you might create and what you might put out into the world. You know, the same thing with some of your classes, 
I enter these conversations with about four bullet points and I just try to be open and trust and yeah. be curious and just trust that whatever, you know, whatever conversation or messages that you and I need to put out into the world, we're going to do that today. And I feel, uh, yeah. I feel very confident that we've, we've put out some, some pretty special things. So I'm, I'm I think really, so really too. grateful that we got the opportunity to do this. Me too. You're an incredible human and I'm honored to know you really, Chad, you are. And I'm proud that, um, you know, as much as I love Eileen and I love her so much, she is so blessed to have you as well. And I want just to point out, I think it's like men don't get the credit of like being evolved and wanting to be in this work and being curious about stuff enough. And it's really empowering as a woman to see a man um, be a good listener. And really, I mean that I, I like really want to make sure I communicate that. And I'm really proud of you and who you are becoming. And I know um, so much of you has to has had to have made choices in your life that have led to this. And so thank you for those choices, because it blesses me. Thank you. Truly. That, uh, mm-hmm. That's really, really meaningful. That means a lot to me. So yeah. I, I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. <laughs> You're if, welcome. <laughs> if people want to find you find the space, yeah connect with you, how could they do that? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram under Kelly McMullen. Um, and then um, in the space, we're under discoverthespace.com. It's our website. And then um, just the space on Instagram. We put out a lot of beautiful content. Liv Monty is our brand consultant, marketing guru, uh, manager of all things. And she does just an amazing job creating the energy that we are um, on a platform. I'm so proud of her work. And um and it takes a village like the space isn't just me. It's an, it's an amazing, including your wife, an amazing group of humans. Um, not only the, the teachers, but we have an amazing front desk. We have a child care staff. And I also have just an incredible community. And without them, it wouldn't nearly be as fun. Right. It's like to do to do, uh, you know, Russian twists by yourself isn't nearly as fun to do it with 60 people. So I'm so grateful for all the people that stand beside me on this journey. Um, and I am who I am because I am, I stand beside them as well. I'm smiling as I see those, uh, four letter, four little words or four <laughs> little letters above your head still. And I just yeah. thank you for, for being you. Thank you for being yeah. you and for sharing yourself today. I'm, I'm privileged to know you. So thank you. Thank you, Chad. Namaste. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Hey, if you enjoyed this discussion, can you think of someone you know who might also enjoy it? It could be sending them a quick text message with the link to the show or talking about it at your next book club. If you take a moment to pass on the show to someone who might also enjoy it, maybe we can bring these deeper conversations to the masses. Thank you in advance for being willing to share and help spread the mission of the show. And I'll see you next time.